Welcome back to hell. Where we talk about terrible people and terrible situations. Both worthy of going to hell. I'm one of your hosts, Lainey. And I'm your other host, Jordan. And this week's topic falls into the realm of the second circle of lust, the fifth circle of anger, and the seventh of violence. Of Dante's circle of hell. Uh, fire, crackling, chains. All right, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Hellbound History. As you could tell from our wonderful intro, that I am one of your hosts, Lainey, and then across from me through the interwebs, I have my other wonderful host, Miss Jordan. Hello, everybody. I know you can't see me. I have green, scaly skin, a long lizard tail, and my tongue is silver. Ooh. Yes, absolutely. She's not lying, guys. It's actually also like split. So she's like a little little snake done. Ah, uh, yes. Ah, uh, yes. Just get ready for my uh, profile picture on Apple Podcasts one day. You'll be surprised. One day we'll do a one day we'll do an image reveal. Today's not that day, so you guys can create your own images of us. I'm also very curious as to what uh, Jordan's boyfriend thought I looked like. He okay. So when I asked him in the car, so my boyfriend met Lainey for the first time, and he's heard about Lainey, uh, he's heard- He's heard my voice. Yes. Um, and he said that you sounded l- like you looked, like I think the only thing is, it's just like, it's just never picture perfect. So- For sure. So he pictured a blonde, tall, uh-huh. white girl. Yeah. Spoiler alert, I am a tall, blonde, <laughs> white girl. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, no, he was like really excited. Uh, we were in the car right before we were coming up. And I was like, mm-hmm. I'll be right back. And he goes, I'm, I'm not coming with. I'm not meeting her. I'm like, do you <laughs> want to meet Lainey? And he's like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's why he came out. <laughs> that's funny. I love it. I know I'm always curious to see what people look like in person, too. Because you always have these images Oh, yeah. Uh, what you think people look like. And it's really baffling when they look nothing like the image you created in your brain. It's like reading a book, you know, and you create this image of what you think the main character looks like or any character for that matter. Yeah. Like right now I'm reading the book uh, Imaginary Friend. Okay. It's by the author who did Perks of Being a Wallflower, Stephen Spotsky. I I have a hard time pronouncing that name. But yeah, Perks of Being a Wallflower is an excellent book, but it's not a psychological horror book. And so it's interesting mm-hmm. that he switched realms and went into a psychological horror. Uh, but it's really good. I only have about, I listened to it on Audible. I I love Audible. I don't have the time to sit down and actually read. So uh, mm-hmm. when I'm getting ready, when I'm driving in my car, I just pop on an Audible book. And apparently it's like an 800 something page book, but I only have like an hour or two left in it. And, and it's pretty good. I saw it on TikTok and people were like, this movie, like, this book messed me up. Like, it's so, like, psychologically messed up, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I was expecting to be a little bit more scared. I think my tolerance for horror is just a little little too high. It is. But but it still is an excellent book and I, and I really recommend it. But I'm trying to 
um, picture all these characters in my head, like, okay, if this became a live action movie, who would play this character? Who played that character? And there's a couple other, like, I don't want to say characters, but beings. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so I tried to find, like, Reddit forms or just Googling, like, what are other people's images of these things? Do they match with mine? Yeah. And I can't find anything. Oh, yeah. So it's just me and my imagination left alone. Okay. So I have something to tell you, and I've been wanting to tell you for so long. Okay. I'm nervous. No, don't be nervous. (laughs) <laughs> Why are you nervous when I say it like that? I don't that? know. <laughs> okay. So have I ever told you that I have met somebody that has the same exact name as me that lives in Hawaii? Like, oh, wait, this is the this is the the email, right? Yes, the email one. Okay, yeah, cuz Jordan on her email and everything, she spells her name with two A's, right? Yes, and I thought I was being cool at 18 when I made that said email. And this woman's like email is like not with two A's. It's just regular. Yeah, it's just the normal spelling of your name. So when I was 20, I was pulled aside by a philosophy professor who had let me know uh, or let me know that uh, he received a, an email from someone with the exact same name as me saying, hello. I've been getting this person's emails for about two years now. Oh, my God. And I just wanted to let someone know that they should let her know that it, it like it's not going to her. It's going to me. So I was like, oh, my gosh, that's funny. But we never spoke. OK. Uh-huh. And as the years go by, I'm 20. She's still getting emails. <laughs> she's still she's still getting emails sometimes. Um, I, I explain to people, hey, make sure you spell it right, because if you mm. don't, you'll meet a lady in Hawaii. Well, back in December, I was emailing a colleague and I guess they just misspelled it and wanted up messaging her. And she emailed that girl back and was like, this is so funny. This is like the hundredth email I've gone about this girl. <laughs> Poor lady. I know. She probably knows so much private information about me. <laughs> Think about that, Lainey. She's getting your taxes returned. <laughs> she got like a professor saying, you're failing your class. <laughs> like it's stuff like that. And so she's, you know, and I've worked with children. And so the the other Jordan is messaging my colleague saying, I've just, I'm just so curious about her. I would love to just get in contact with her. So my mm-hmm. colleague's like, Oh my God, this has to happen. Y'all have to be friends. <laughs> so we like, I wind up messaging her. And she, I mean, you have her email address, so I guess it wouldn't <laughs> be that difficult. <laughs> and she messaged me back. And um, Lainey, she's a child psychologist in Hawaii. Oh my God, no way. I'm not even joking. That's so crazy. And I was like, I'm on a podcast whose host name is also Jordan. And she's a psychologist too. Well, I'm not a psychologist yet. Therapist, therapist, but but yeah, yeah, psychology realm. Yeah, like you guys are like in the same realm. And then like haven't talked to her since December. And then I get another email from her recently, and it's from like a debt collector. And she's like, "Hey, is this yours? Like long time no talk." 
And I'm like, oh my God, bad luck. Pick up the phone, call the people. And I just kind of go, hi. Explain the really weird situation <laughs> of I'm getting this emailed forward by another person with mm-hmm. the same, you know, <laughs> that whole shenan- shenanigans. The lady's laughing and I'm like, I've never heard of this bank. I'm so scared this is me. And so she's like, let me check the information. Give me your address. Give it to her. It doesn't match. She's like, okay, secret password. And the question wasn't anything I knew. So it, yeah. it wasn't me. And I was like, thank God. And I was like, oh, I probably should tell the other Jordan, you know. And she's if like. If you're going to tell me there is a third Jordan. <laughs> There's a third Jordan. So I email. Are her- you serious? Yes. There's a third Jordan? Yes. Oh, my God. No way. I email her back. I let her know, hey, it's not me. Call them. And then she responds back saying, oh, my God, there's just so many of us. Uh, And I guess I'm the fourth Jordan. I don't have y'all's last name, but I'm still the fourth Jordan. But the three of us have the first same. The three of us have the same first and last name. That is insane. That's so funny. Isn't it? I just had to tell you before we started our episode (laughs) because I promise I'm not hunting Jordans down. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you're gonna have like what was that josh fight did you see that josh fight that was on no. like all over twitter and everything where everybody with like this josh swain or something like that were supposed to meet up and fight to the death to figure out who is the real josh <laughs> swain and then it was just all these people named josh just fighting with pool noodles you're gonna have that but with jordan's <laughs> but my email is a ymail not a gmail or a yahoo and so i've given people my email multiple times mm-hmm. and they always like automatically correct it to a gmail oh, yeah. and i'm like no 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 it's a ymail please so i don't even know how many emails <laughs> i have not received so there's probably another Delaney. me out there who is getting all these other emails for me i hope you guys connect i hope you guys have a friendship like jordan and i do Nah, I'm good. I don't need any more friends. <laughs> um, with that being said, I'm so excited to get into our topic because it covers three circles of hell. It covers Dang. lust, violence, and anger. Ooh. Yeah. Our story begins with Maria Goretti, who was born in Italy in 1890. She is actually the third of six children, and her lovely parents are Luigi and Assunta Goretta. So Maria didn't really live a luxurious life. A lot of people back then didn't. But she didn't even really live an ordinary life. Her whole family had been born into poverty. And both of us know that once you're born into poverty, so hard to get out. It's basically impossible. Your grandpa could have tons of money, and let's say he lost it all. Generations down, his great-great-grandkids could still suffer the effects. And so they're in poverty, but they're, like, in terms of that class little area, they're at, like, the bottom of the poverty area. So they're poor. Poverty, poverty. Poverty, poverty. Like, there's other poor people saying, look at these poor people. During one Christmas evening in 1896, when Maria is six years old, her father has asked the entire family to come downstairs and to gather for a grand announcement. 
they're all just kind of like tingling with excitement because they don't know what's it going to be. Daddy always has really fun stuff in store for us. And so he opens his arms out and Luigi gladly tells him that the entire family is going to pack up everything and they're going to leave and they're going to go travel to the southern region of Rome, which is now like center Italy today. Mm hmm. Silence fill the like fills the air. They're like, okay, yay! Like we're moving our home, right? So I don't know. You're not like you're leaving your your like little comfort your comfort zone, and you're moving to a new foreign not necessarily foreign, but a different different place. I mean, that's it's a mix of feelings. I would think it is. It is a mix of feelings, and um, you know, Maria's not amazingly ecstatic by this because she's going to have to walk hundreds of miles to some place she's never been to with her five other siblings, you know, her parents. And this is like all day walking, all night walking almost with breaks. But her father really explains that getting to the west side of Italy they may have a chance to get out of poverty. Oh, wow. Like, this could be the chance. Like, this could be their one shot to get out. And with the Goretti family being so close-knit together, being together was enough for Maria to kind of get over it. Plus, when you're six, you don't get a choice. Oh, she was only six. She's only six when this happens. Uh, though this current move that they make, it doesn't last long because, so remember, th he decides to like do this in 1896. So by February 1899, her father is talking to her mother and tells her to go grab all the children, have them sit down in the living room. And they're all sitting there and Maria's getting like deja vu. Uh-oh. And she's like, wait a second. Why are we all in the living room right now? And Luigi says, I have some exciting news I want to tell you guys. And Asunta, Maria's mother, just makes that face like, I swear. Is it exciting? If you tell me we are about to move because of some brand new like opportunity, I'm going to take my sandal and I'm going to chunk it at you. <laughs> and Not the chonkla. <laughs> and Luigi just with his open arm says, I... I'm going to move our whole family again. And this time we're just going to move 40 miles further from Rome because I have found this new job opportunity where we can work as like sharecroppers. So like working on a farm and they're all looking at him with death glares, especially his wife. Like, are you kidding me, Luigi? Really? It's like We didn't sign up to be no farmer. Do you see our children? Do they look like they can handle themselves for 40 miles? Maria trips all the time. What's going to happen? But then he kind of puts like the ribbon on this really sad package of a surprise. He says that but this job comes with a perk. They're allowed to live on the property. They're allowed to live in a house that is on the property they will work on. And they would never have to worry about where they're going to sleep for the day, 
what they're going to do for comfort, finding like a bed, all of that like unnecessary stuff out the window. So for a permanent place to stay, that's that's a pretty good deal. Yeah. So their wages that they're making doesn't have to go towards cost of living. Yes, exactly. Okay. That's a pretty sweet deal. It is a pretty sweet deal. That's why the whole family's like, oh, we don't have to like couch surf anymore. Right. Um, so, but here's the deal. The owner told them that the house that they would be staying in is like cut in half. So okay. the upstairs living quarters would belong to the Garettis. So the, Which is this family. This family, yes. Maria's okay, but family. I miss, but the bottom it belongs to no another one. family? No oh, one. No one, no one. It's vacant currently. And that's also where the kitchen is. Okay. So it's by communal law, the second family on the top of the floor does have access to the kitchen. Um, but kind of like the people on the first floor have like made rule of it, which is just weird. Um, but there's currently no one in that space. Yeah. So they got the whole place to themselves. Okay. They were told that if somebody were to join their operation or anything or do something on the property, uh, they would fill that slot in the household. And... But the Garettis would keep their shares of the earnings. It would not be split mm-hmm. with any new workers. So this whole move that they did, it really helped en- enable Maria's family to survive hunger and poverty, which in their heart, huge blessing. Mm-hmm. Warm food. They got like an oven, ecstatic. Oh my gosh, they have stuff to put things in. Mm-hmm. They have their own little space. They have a room. Maria has the closed door room. Now, this farm that Maria's family was going to work on, I never said it was the most magical farmland to ever exist. I want to say it wasn't even a decent farm to live in. It was nasty, swampy, bug infested. Oh, my gosh. And really hard to get anything to grow. I think it's kind of like if Shrek talked to Fiona and said, No, not Shrek. (laughs) You know, and told Fiona, Hey, we should be farmers, took the kids, moved out of the swamp, moved to this property, felt like it wasn't sloppy enough, redid it, and then found it perfect. That is the state of this farm. It's gross. And what is one nasty, icky situation that occurs? When you're in those areas. Bug bites. Bug bites. And when we think of bug bites, we think of? Malaria. Mosquitoes. Yes. We think mosquitoes. We think of malaria. So one day, Luigi has been working in the field. He's plowing the crops. Everything's kind of growing. And then he feels something on his shoulder and then smacks. Oh, that's weird. Wipes the blood away. Uh, continues to work. Hours are passing by and he kind of just starts feeling a little bit sweatish, feels not himself fatigued, walks back. Yeah, and, and obviously they're used to being bitten by bugs. Like it happens. It happens. But remember, the Goretti family has just moved here and they've been in like other regions and the other regions that they've been at haven't had as dense of a mosquito population. So how long did they live there before the situation happened? A year. Oh, wow. 
Yeah. So Luigi, after being bit by this mosquito, he does winds up contracting malaria. And after 11 days of fighting malaria, he passes away. Oh, no. The breadwinner, the the man of the house. That's not good. Not good at all. So now Maria's family is in this dire situation. They were already considered the poorest poor peasants in that class. With her father passing, this whole situation with the family got way worse. But the wonderful mother that Asunta is, is dutifully taking her husband's place in the field And pulled Maria to the side to tell her that Maria is going to have to take her role of watching over the children and cooking and cleaning. She bends down and just kind of talks to Maria face to face and just says that, I know you don't want to do this. I know that this is nothing you really know about, but our family cannot do this without you. She's eight Mm -hmm. oh she's just a little baby yeah like eight almost turns nine so and they agree so maria's mom's gonna work the field and maria would be the house uh caretaker and she hated this at the time she felt like the whole world was suffocating her dad died not only did she went from not having the responsibility to having to care for her younger siblings which one of them is a baby So that's like constant diaper changing and feeding and making sure that they're not killing themselves. Um, But also she had to learn how to cook. She had to learn how to cook food that was good. She had to learn how to clean the correct way. And with her mother working in the field, she doesn't have any type of guidance. So I was going to say, it's like, who, when are you going to find time to teach your daughter how to do all these things when you have to pick up all of the slack and do all of that. So she's literally just learning by trial and error. Absolutely. And she and she kind of struggles with it. You have to be so mature to be able to do that. Like, you, she has to grow up immediately. Oh, oh, so fast. Um, but this system that, that her and her mother had created was helpful. And in fact, it helped them survive and keep going forward. One of Maria's duties would be to, like, go run errands into the town, like, go sell stuff that they had. Many of the villagers found Maria to be such a treat. Asked by her mother often to take trips to the village, Maria would sell things such as, like, eggs, chickens, maybe some crop supplies, pick up items for the family. She also would kind of, like, stare at the church from afar because she really, really, really wanted to go to church. And her family her family didn't go to church? She couldn't afford to go. Couldn't afford to go to church? Mm-hmm. How I thought church is free. I thought so, too. I guess not back then. Nope. That's interesting. Uh-huh. Uh, so when many of the merchants did see her and... Creepy enough, in the research that I went through, a lot have been made by, like, street pastors. Um, You know, these people would find Maria so enchanting that they sometimes would give her things. 
sweets, trinkets. Tell her to go take it home to her siblings and her family. I mean, they they found her not only like wonderful and sweet, but she was so kind. Maria was lovely. She had this beautiful complexion that was complemented by her chestnut hair, which was like bedhead all the time. Like her mother always said, Maria, brush your hair. And she just, it wasn't, it wasn't on her mind. It wasn't a priority. She's like, I got other shit to do. Exactly. Every day she always made a point to visit the shrine of Our Lady of Grace. So because being born in poverty, she couldn't pay to get into the masses. And so when her father, Luigi, died, she couldn't even afford to pay to get into his mass to honor her father. I'm sorry, what? I know. Really? They're charging admission fees for funerals now? It's it's crazy what people were like, yeah, this is okay. So because she can't provide rites in that manner, she still would at least recite the five mysteries of the rosaries for her her repose of her father's soul. Um, and then like the five mysteries of the rosary, if I'm thinking this right, it's like the it's like the five mercies or the five wounds that like Mary the mother uh, suffers, like when her son is crucified, I think. Okay, I know nothing about any of this stuff, but was her family Catholic? Like, did her family, like, no. believe and go to church? Mm-hmm. Okay, so she was this outlier in the family, basically, because mm-hmm. she really obviously wanted to go to church, and she was, like, obsessed with it in a little bit of a way. Oh, oh, yeah. And um, she, was, she would be like, Mom, please, please, can we just scrounge just a little bit of money so I can get, like, classes? at the church can i please go to church like she would she like watch from where she was able to um and like not get in trouble just so she could be close to it i put in parentheses in my notes (laughs) saying uh isn't it crazy that people had to pay to go to church at one point like some pastor priest bishop archbishop i need to get better about my classifications of that looked at somebody and said Hmm. You look too poor. You can't come in. No Jesus for you. Even to a child. Goodbye. I wonder if it was like, what do they call it? Tithing? Or when you put like all the money in the basket that gets passed around? Oh, I think. I wonder if it's something along the lines of that. Oh, like you couldn't offer tidings. So like yeah. you can't give back to the church. So why come to the church and... I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would think something along those lines. I can't imagine there being like a bouncer at the doors of the cathedral <laughs> being like nicest guy ever. There's big teddy bear, like Dwayne Johnson's just like, I'm sorry, man. He's like, no, you don't have five sickles to attend this mass. Got to get out of here now. I'll politely hold your hand out. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Maria and her mother's efforts uh, did go to waste. It still wasn't enough for the owner to feel assured that he was getting his daily income. And so being said, one day the owner shows up with 
two strange men that none of the family have met before. So the owner introduces the both of them to Maria's entire family. He says the taller man, more scruffy, older looking, a little bit of gray, and his dark, dark hair. Uh, his name is Giovanni Serenelli. And he points to the other man that's just a bit shorter than Giovanni and more of a stockier build is his teenage, or not like teenage son, like young adult son, Alessandro. And they're moving downstairs. Now, the Serenellis were also a peasant family. Giovanni, the dad, is generally portrayed to never be like never be seen without some type of glass in his hand. Like he was always drinking something. Like he always had some type of liquid. So he's an alcoholic? Uh-huh. And though he didn't speak about it much, Giovanni's wife actually died in a psychiatric hospital where he himself had placed her in after she apparently tried to drown Alessandro as a newborn. Oh, so that's some that's some postpartum, that's some mental illness. Oh my gosh. So, wow. Mm-hmm. And you know mental institutions were not the good best. back then. Mm-mm. Yeah. I mean, they're still not the best today, but they were mega terrible back then. And the sibling I have not mentioned, uh, Alessandro's brother, you know, had been studying seminary while Alessandro and Giovanni traveled together and their workload um, and winds up just kind of having a mental break and being subsequently entering uh, in an asylum where he committed suicide and they found him days later. And this is the brother? This is the brother. So the Oh, wow. Yeah. So now dealing with his wife who tried to kill one of his children and then his other son commits suicide, Giovanni is like struggling to provide for his only child and not only that is trying to prevent any type of like mental destitution that's left of the family and how how old is the family or how not how old is the family how old is the the son 20 so mom tried to kill him when he was a kid and then when he's about like 18 19 his brother commits suicide Wow, that is some trauma. I mean, even though you're not able to remember your mother trying to drown you, knowing that bit of information is still emotionally scarring. Oh my, I can't imagine. And like Giovanni, I bet he didn't even want to have to like put his wife in there. And that's a hard- And on top of that, mental illness wasn't even like a talked about thing. So they probably thought she was possessed by the devil or something. And then did it like die in the facility that you put her in? Yeah, that's terrible. Oh, that that probably just it sat with him for years. So he he is on this war quest to prevent this scenario from ever happening again. So he winds up like moving the family multiple times, trying different situations and like earning a living will, like a living, you know, 
income to kind of keep it stable for Alessandro. Um, at some point, Alessandro kind of goes off and does his own thing, like everybody else. And during that time, I don't know when, and I I don't even know how they came across each other. Um, but one day in a bar, uh, a drunken Luigi Garetti stumbles up to the bar, uh, the the bar stand, slams his hand down and demands another drink. Starts telling people, you know, the poor class, they don't get enough respect. Here's a voice in the back. Here to that. Here, here to that. This tall, brutally looking man has like dark hair, a little bit of gray in it, walks over. You can tell he's been drinking, sits down next to Luigi, and the two of them start bonding about how the poverty class is the real working class, the real like uh, bread makers. Uh, I mean, they're not wrong. They're not. And and they're bonding and, you know, Luigi laughs and says, let me introduce myself, gives that good old handshake. I'm Luigi Goretti. It's nice to meet you. And he, <laughs> I'm Luigi Goretti. It's nice to meet you. And the other man shakes his hand and says, oh, my name is Giovanni Serenelli. Nice to meet you. And uh, they talk about their workload and they said, you know, like, Luigi, have you found work? Luigi says no. He asks Giovanni if he's found work. He says no. And so they like make a promise kind of to each other. Man, I feel like I really connect with you. I feel like we're like, and they're drunk out of their minds. They're like, but if you ever need a job and one of us has one and the other doesn't, no matter where you are, find me. Find me. Wait, I thought they were father and son. Luigi and Giovanni are two different people. You're thinking of Giovanni and Alessandro. There we go. Mm-hmm. I can't keep up with all these names. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. So, but yeah, so like they just have like this one BFF night in a bar. It's like when the like when you're drunk at like a bar, it's like, oh my god, you're so pretty. Like the girls' bathroom mm-hmm. is like this like hype house. Oh my god, you're so pretty. You're oh my god, so pretty. text me, give me your Snapchat. We're gonna we're gonna go out again. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's like the it's like the party girl you hang out with, and it's like, girl, if you ever find me like in the real world, like I'll hook you up, and then you see her in daylight, and you're like, and then you've never, you never see this person ever again. All those girls that I have phone numbers of randomly in my phone from forever ago, I, uh, uh, yeah, I hope they're doing okay. <laughs> but this situation is they do show up. Um, oh, so they actually do reconnect. Yeah. Um, and also, it seemed like the conversation between them seemed to be portrayed like they were gonna make a business from the business they work for. Like they were going to go hire more workers and then kind of create like this, uh, what's it called? A multi-level marketing? An MLM? Yep. Multi-level, there's like a pyramid scheme. Yeah, that's like, I, I think that's kind of what they were trying to come across, <laughs> the, the, the drunkenness of it. So by the year 1900, and Giovanni showed up, Alessandro, uh, Alessandro showed up, Luigi passed away and never oh, mentioned 
like this conversation to anybody but the owner. Um, so everybody in Maria's family is like, um, what? Who is this man? The owner explains, you know, uh, a while back, Luigi and Giovanni had come to some agreement that will allow both him and his son to live with them on the property and that he was going to be hiring them as sharecroppers. The owner also explains that the Serenellis are going to not only live on the bottom floor of the same building, uh, but they that Giovanni would have the official power of household hold. Uh, uh, what? Like he he had control of what went down in the house. So he was like the house mom. Yeah. So if a, a Maria's mother tried to go talk to Alessandro, that would be out of her power. But Giovanni could totally go talk to Maria or a sibling. That's that power the owner said Giovanni could have within that household. Okay. Found that. And so I'm, I'm assuming the people that are in the bottom part of like the house are are more authoritative than the people who live on top. I I I guess so. Um, and I think it it still seems to me weird that the owner gave more free reign to Giovanni, who he just met, compared to the household that's been working with him for like a few years you know like they've been there yeah for sure that's a little disrespectful if you ask me now um when the serenellis arrived both super friendly okay especially alessandro with maria and her siblings so alessandro is about 20 years old he is shy quiet at times Before coming to work with his father, he actually worked as a longshoreman. And then by the time he was 18, his dad kind of said, Haya, you're not really doing anything with your life. So you should just come back with home, like back on home to me and just we'll we'll be a pair. And I think Giovanni may have done it to kind of be a helicopter parent and like bring them in. Maria and her siblings actually immensely enjoyed Alessandro when he first arrived. He would play games with them. He was the person that would like constantly check to see if they were doing fine, relieve these moments that Maria was having. Um, But over the next two years of the family living together, um, Giovanni's alcoholism becomes extreme. And Alessandro suddenly becomes recluse. He becomes quieter. He becomes very, very withdrawn. Maria is obviously like sad to see a friend that is no longer talking to her, just kind of out of the blue. We all have that moment in high school, middle school, and elementary school where we've had a friend stop talking to us and just started acting rude. We don't like it. In those years, Maria's mother also noticed a change within uh, Maria's character. Like she went from being this playful little girl um, to this like personality of somebody that's lived like hundreds of lifetimes and it and it caught her off guard. So she becomes like this old soul. Yes. This change was so sudden that for two years that all the merchants in the neighborhoods started giving her the nickname Little Granny. 
<laughs> just because she was really <laughs> mature for her age. Aw, that sucks. Yeah. She like sell eggs and they'd be like, hey, Granny Maria. She'd be like, okay, what do you want? So they like taunt her. Suddenly, Alessandro just kind of started ignoring the entire Goretti family themselves. Like not stopping to say hey, not stopping to even like apologize for bumping into each other. Very cold and very rude. And it was a very what the heck's going on? And and sometimes during this moment, Maria would find periods where Alessandro would be somewhere near her and just staring at her. Ew. Like intent, like intense staring. And she would have she would have never noticed if she hadn't like looked around. But once she did realize he was making intense eye contact, he never stopped. So she would just be chilling and she'd be doing her own little thing and then she would just like catch eyes and he she just sees this guy. I mean that she she knows him, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. But like I wonder uh it just feels very much like prey, like you're stalking your prey and you're staring at him because when you lock eyes with somebody, you know, and you get there you're seeing and someone's like looking at you, typically your action is to look away like oh god they like mm-hmm, they caught me mm-hmm. looking at them you kind of like look away for him to just be continuing to continuing that's definitely a word mm-hmm. continue to stare at her even when she catches eyes that's so like actual stalker prey like oh you are hitting the nail on the head see oh, and maria no. doesn't really think of anything at first Cause she knows him. This is he lives at her house. Like they've had good times together, right? Yeah. He was like this nice dude. He just recently changed. So one day, while Alessandro's like working in the field and Maria's going to tend to the chickens, uh, he yells for Maria's name and like randomly starts making these obscene gestures at her. And he's very, and starts making very lewd and crude jokes like, Maria, Maria, you should let me put my, you know, let me slide my hand up your skirt. And like, she doesn't get what he's saying. And she's eight. Yeah. That's so disgusting. Like, what happened to him? I mean, they always say that you can't hide your crazy for too long, mm-hmm. you know? And that's why, like, my psychology professor, uh, when my very first semester of college, she said, if you take anything out of this class, make it be, like, do not ever marry someone without knowing them for at least, like, six months to a year because they can hide their crazy and all of their problems for roughly about six months. But at that six months part, that's when people usually tend to start unraveling. Mm-hmm. And it's very true. So... You can have this facade, you can have like this alternate persona, but eventually the truth is going to get out. Your real you is going to show. And I think that his is starting real him is starting to show. So what she's unaware, Maria is unaware of, is that Alessandro recently got into a huge argument with his dad and Maria wasn't at the house when it happened 
but the rest of her family is. See, oh, no. Giovanni drunkenly went into his son's room. And I don't know if he thought he was up to something. I don't know if he was looking for something. But whatever it was, he came across this like secret compartment with a box inside full of graphic, pornographic imagery. Okay. I'm sorry. What? <laughs> this is 1900. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. So their definition of like lewd and provocative is definitely going to be different than what our vision of this is, right? Okay. Yeah. I'm picturing, oh, what did they even wear back then? Okay. Like Ooh. undergarments and undergarment. You know that it's that like um, bloomers that like go down like over the knee, you know, oh, yeah. like, all like the beige color and the corsets. And they're still basically fully clothed, I'm yeah. going to say. It's like lingerie modeling, if anything. But like 1900 Nudes. lingerie modeling. <laughs> Nudes. I, I would bet money that there wasn't a single exposed <laughs> booby. I would if there were because unless they're like because it wasn't like that back artist then. renditions yeah. unless they were like painted but there's no way but that he got a hold okay yeah exactly so there's no way that he came across like actual photographs of like a, a completely naked woman yeah there's no way there's there's no way it, it's it's some type of like sexualized something of women yeah and it's not the fact, I guess, of the stuff it is itself, I think, to Giovanni's okay, yeah. mad, it's the amount that he So found. it's, like, excessive. Like, it, it's, it is, it could fill a library how much it was. All, like, stored away in this tiny compartment in his room. And, and I mean, Giovanni sh- screams in the house. And <laughs> he's just is like, ah! He's so, like... <laughs> he's like, what the heck? It's like coming into your child's bedroom and finding wall-to-wall porn. And it's, it's like, it's a huge argument. Alessandro's obviously embarrassed. And, um, you know... With the considerable commotion, Giovanni quickly got rid of the, all of that material. Oh no, he just threw away like, uh, like hundreds of dollars and then money. Yes, important because you know, and especially if they were like nude, and he got a hold of that stuff, it was expensive. That's expensive, so expensive, and this whole private personal explicit conversation was aired out to everybody that was at the house <sighs> at the time oh okay at the house yeah but still oh because he not like because he's telling everybody but because they can hear him screaming <laughs> like some of the other children can obviously hear like alessandro's dad saying what are you doing like uh, like why like this is disgusting you're disgusting like, how could you be looking at this? That is, there's something wrong with you. Like, get this stuff out of my house. Like, they, like they heard it. So, so Alessandro. First of all, bro, this isn't your house. True. Your name's not on this anywhere. Um, you share the house with another family. So I'm going to need you to take a, a Xanax and just sit back down. <laughs> you need to calm down. 
So like that whole situation, just tipping point. Giovanni now is like really into his drinking and he's starting to get sick with possibly malaria, but they're not for sure. So feeling humiliated, feeling isolated because like Maria's mom can't look at him after yeah, no one's going to look at him the same way. That's so scandalous. Like you're seen as like a sex deviant at this point now because of of that. The only one that doesn't know is Maria. And in his mind, I think he wanted a remedy or a fix to the situation, a, a way to somehow like fix this whole kind of social like uncomfortableness he's put himself in. Um, and he took a look at Maria as she came back home from her errands that night and he looked at her and he knew that she was just this girl that saw the good and the bad and started kind of like really resentful that she was okay living in this like poverty stricken life. And something else that was stirring in Alessandro's heart was that, but you know, through the years, children grow up. So now she's like around 11, um, you, you know, and uh, Alessandro looks at Maria and finds her attractive. Okay. So, yes, finding an eight-year-old attractive is absolutely going to make this whole situation go away. What is he even thinking about? Like, he's already this outcast you don't think acting upon an eight-year-old is going to make the situation a million times worse? He's like, what 20. Is going, he's 20. Like, what is going on in this man's head? So not knowing that these seeds have started to be planted in Alessandro's heart, Maria's just working in the field one day. She's making sure that the new flowers she planted is growing okay. And Alessandro approaches her. And she's excited because it's been a bit since he's approached her with a conversation. And it, it this is but this is still after he was looking at her like a piece of meat. Right. Yeah. This is like, OK, this is like time after. OK, um, so she's probably like, oh, maybe Alessandro's OK now. Maybe he got past his weird stage that he just went through. I get my old friend back friend back. I don't even think she thought him staring at her was that kind of stare. I think she thought like... She's just so innocent. Yeah, like, do I have something in my teeth? Do I have something in my hair? Like, I brushed it. Yeah. Um. So when he gets one word out and says, hey, Maria, and she starts the conversation, oh, Alessandro, it's so good to like talk to you. And he presses his lips up against her. Oh, no. Pushing herself back, she tells him she's not okay with that. She doesn't know what that is and doesn't know what has gone into him. She's seen mom and dad do that. That's something that's reserved for like adults mm -hmm. or the person you love. So slowly um, in the days after that incident, there were more repeated attempts to seduce her. Maria wanted to make sure and would put things in place so that she would be nowhere near Alessandro. Um, and it was making her very uncomfortable. Yeah, having to deal with the 
aggressive sexual advances was very mentally draining. But as Lainey and I like to say, if there's a will, there's a way. And eventually, Alessandro comes up with a plan where he's able to get Maria into submission, where he would be able to approach her when no one would be around. So he would look for these moments where maybe she was in a crowd, maybe they were in the village, maybe they were in the field. And he, um, it's like that guy from you, he would like look at his surroundings and find the most natural moment to be able to, without a scene, approach her and get her by herself. So he's stalking her. Yeah. So, like, every time he tried to act on these plans, it's like Maria developed a sixth sense. She just, on her feet. The, like, it's, it's a sense that is something all women can relate to if you've experienced some type of harassment. Absolutely. You're always, like, on defense. Like, you can't relax. The feeling of something in the air and the having to be on guard. And so when she ever found herself trapped in the house alone with him, knowing he's trying to do this weird stuff, she would physically resist him and quickly go find company. And Marie's mother has noticed, like, in the weeks as this is progressing, that Maria's been, like, really frantic and never wants to leave her side. She just feels that Maria's just being a kid. You know, the kids that never want to be separated from you. So they put their fingers in the little door creak and they just wiggle it underneath asking you what you're doing. <laughs> You're like trying to take a poop and the fingers are coming out of the bottom of the door. It's like, mom, mom, mom. So Just leave me alone. <laughs> but also, Maria never let her mom know what was going on because she was worried about causing trouble. I see. Because they're basically in charge of the house. So if Maria caused a ruckus, claim making these claims... Who are they going to believe? Are they going to believe an eight-year-old or are they going to believe a grown man who's kind of in charge of the house? Yeah. Um, she also felt like if she did bring this to light, it would create an issue in her entire family's stability. Like this, this little child felt the weight of all that on her shoulders. Sometimes in those moments where he, like, Alessandra is trying to assault or try to attempt anything, he would threaten her by saying, like, if she ever told her mother or anybody, she would, like, like, he would kill them and he would kill her and anybody associated with them. Um, I found that this is a common tactic abusers use to- Oh, absolutely. Yeah. A thousand percent. Yeah. It's used to frame their families- and isolate them from others, and it makes the victims more vulnerable and easier to prey upon. Yep. Because they don't want to hurt their family. They don't want to get in trouble. They don't want their family to die or or whatever it is. Um, there's even a story. Uh, I can't remember my source. Uh, but Maria and her mother were doing chores, and Alessandro had come to Maria's mother and asked if he could have Maria fix his shirt. 
And because his reasoning was he really liked the way she sewed and like did it. Yes, I really like the way this eight-year-old sews. That's enough to require. What is the difference between the mom sewing or Maria sewing? That would be such a red flag for me. And uh, we all know that's not his intention, obviously. And so when her mom approaches her about it, Maria is sobbing and desperately trying to get her mom not to make her go. But suddenly she just kind of feels like a little bop on her shoulder and her mother tells her, just go do what Alessandra like is saying. Listening to this, probably a lot of you are thinking, how come Maria's mother is able to put her daughter in a situation like that? She didn't know. And I she honestly think she's scared. I think she has six kids to provide for. She's just barely getting out of poverty. Or she just literally did not know think that he was even capable of being this predatory. Yeah. And when it comes to somebody that influences your work, maybe there's like a like a power hierarchy and you know, you you don't like to think anything wrong will happen in that situation because what happens afterwards is so complicated that you just don't want to do this. Um, so I think she just thought like any type of conflict with the children, you know, with uh, Giovanni San could just be chalked up to kids stuff and by doing this, she pushed her daughter into the arms of a sick individual. Um, by July 1902, this cat or this game of cat and mouse is now just routine for them, both of them. Alessandro tries to get as close as she can. Alessandro tries to get as close as to Maria as possible without causing a scene. Even in public settings, he kept her around. Not close enough where people could see or notice it's weird or odd, but just far away to make it seem like there's this unspoken barrier between them. And he would, you know, like prowl that barrier. She always felt she had to be on guard 24-7. And these attempts to Maria by him are having severe effects on her mental health. Oh, of course. Like she, her prayers would become longer. She constantly would have conversations like with family members about what it really meant about her conscience. And at night she would lay in bed and try to find some type of way to justify what he was doing to her. Yeah. She's like, well, maybe, maybe, well, I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Of course, because you don't want to think the absolute worst of people. And I think that goes with a lot of what happens to women. Like we're afraid to say no. We're afraid that if we like shut down immediately someone's flirtatiousness or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, that we're going to get repercussions for it. Yes. And then we and then we don't want to overreact because then we'll seem as crazy and all these other things. And so we're like, well, Okay, well, maybe we we just try to justify it so much because we don't want to think that and we're afraid that if we do think that and we're vocal about thinking that, then 
and they're not that, then you feel bad that you yeah the worst of them you know it's yeah. just like, it's this huge catch-22 and men just don't necessarily understand that every conversation we have with a man that we do not know we go through this whole entire process like do you have an intention or an agenda yeah what is your intention what is your agenda what are you wanting from me because a man's just not going to go strike up a conversation with a female no just oh you are look like you'd be interested in this topic like no there's an ulterior like motive there's something it's you know bad or good there's there's something up Mm -hmm. um so shaken with fears and just sobs escaping her she prayed almost every night please make this stop i'm exhausted please make this stop and he lives in her house he's uh, like doors down honestly i don't even really get the whole stalking thing or if he ever relate i don't know if he was like i'm gonna rape her or like i'm gonna kill her because it does like the stalking when it had started all like all up to this point it had been a few months and so like i don't know it's just weird that no one noticed that he was off to the side or she looked scared or frantic or um anything but also she like you could tell her like she physically on a normal basis wasn't herself and was struggling to do everyday things and would just kind of zone out she's exhausted she's tired she can't get sleep she has to literally sleep with one eye open when i open the heat on july 5th of 1902 was coming down on the farm estate maria's mom is making sure her other children are doing okay you know, not causing a ruckus, breaking fences, trying to ride the pigs, you know, pull the cow's tail. Um, and she's making lovey-dovey faces at them because she kind of feels that everything's going great. It's going right. Uh, Maria's attending to some chores. She's in and out of the kitchen and is like multitasking. Like Baby Teresa, her baby sister, is on the front step. So she'd check on Teresa, go in the kitchen, go work on something else, come back out, and like just quickly doing it. Her mother knows that tomorrow, on Sunday, that the Feast of the Precious Blood of Jesus was going to be happening. So Maria is obviously doing all of this just so she could do- like go. Get away from our friend over there. Yeah. Also, she really, really wants to go to church. Um, I'm assuming this is a a free event then. She doesn't have to pay anything to attend. I think she's like trying to convince her mom like, give me the five cents to go, please, please, please. Mm -hmm. And by the way, I totally did this stuff um, (laughs) with my parents. I would do extra stuff just to make sure I could go somewhere. Um, Maria's mom feels that some of the younger children could have a little bit of changery or a Maria's mother feels that some of the younger children could use a little bit of a change of scenery and decides to take them into the town, gathering the four and walking past the working field. Alessandro working the field with some others while looking down in his cap has his eyes look up and is following her like a hawk and waits until... Um, the mother and the four siblings are out of sight. 
taking his gloves off, putting them in his pocket and putting the rag, like patting his head and putting it over his like shoulder, putting on the show to his workers that he'll be right back because the thirst is real and he's waving as he starts walking to the house. Mm. Maria sitting on the footsteps, looking down, just trying to get some needling done. Um, hears footsteps coming up. And in her mind, those footsteps belong to someone that is ingrained to her. Knowing who it probably is, she suddenly jumps up and all of a sudden his face is right in front of hers. He demands Maria to follow him into the kitchen. The silence is deafening. In the kitchen... Follow her into the kitchen? Yeah, like... So he, like, walked all the way back home? Yeah, because, like, Cropfield, the house is, like, right over here. Yeah, I thought they were at a festival. No, the mom's taking her to a festival. There's a festival the next day that Maria wants to go to. Oh, 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 okay. Yeah. As the silence starts to grow, he's looking at her for an answer. And she is looking for any possible way to duck move an opening to run her soul wants to move but she can't and as the silence just keeps filling that's just when this rage from alessandro um kicks in grabbing both of her arms and starts pushing and walking her backwards through the front door and into the kitchen and she's kicking and she's screaming. And during the wrestle in the kitchen, he is able to be knocking by this area where there's like a knife block kind of thing. And he grabs the knife and is able to whip it around and have it lightly press against Maria's neck. And has her slowly just kind of back up and tries to turn her around so that her front part of her body is facing the wall and is slowly trying to, to like corner her into an area. While Maria is in his arms pressed super tight against it and trying to wiggle, she's able to elbow the side of him, causing him to just kind of let go of her and she scrambles to the front door, screaming, fiercely but there's no one around the only one's the baby on the front porch which you left the baby on the front porch (laughs) oh no not the baby on the front porch literally he took maria left the baby and so she she's bolting to the door she's screaming fiercely and she's trying to hit she's trying to scratch she's trying to like find things to like hit him with and i quote She says to him, no, no, Alessandro, it is a sin. God forbids it. You will go to hell. Alessandro, you'll go to hell. If you do this, you will be condemned. Continuing to fight for her life and using all of her strength. It's great that he was unable to rape her. Like she she made a huge effort. To prevent that. That's how strong of a fight she was putting up. Mm -hmm. And Alessandro kind of, he just feels like he deserves it. 
He feels like this is an entitled to him. He feels like this is something that he should have. And the fact that she's denying it and has been is just too much to deal for. So he takes that knife that was in his hand, brings it up and slams it into her chest and winds up slamming it 14 times. 14 times. As he presses the knife into the chest, he hears the crunch in the thud. When he stabs her neck, he he feels the tip hit the wooden floor on the other side. Slowly, Maria is fading in and out until blackness just completely covers her conscious. And now, stupid Alessandro, thinking he had killed her, thinks it's time to go take a nap. So he goes to his room and goes to f- he goes to sleep. Y'all, that child murder really definitely takes a lot out of you. It wasn't long until Maria actually does start to hear children kind of like like voices and that the lights are starting to come in from the light and she she regains consciousness and she takes her forearm and biceps on both sides and just slowly tries to pull herself to the door and like kind of make her way over to open the latch. She's trying to cry out for help. Air is coming out of places in her neck that she's not used to. And and it hurts. And she's scared. And she wants her mommy. And she just starts saying, mommy, mommy, please. She cries like someone, please help me. Help me. A door opens, hoping for her savior. She looks up to see Alessandro, who realizes she's not dead, returns back to his bedroom, grabs a knife, and stabs her five more times, attacking her with such a force that the knife bent when it entered her uh, when it hit her spine now feeling that he finished the job alessandro just goes back and lays in bed it's like that one scene in hereditary i won't spoil it for you but if you know i've seen it but if you know what i'm talking about it's like that as maria is lying there baby Teresa starts to cry and remember on the porch the baby on the porch and see the crazy thing is, during this whole thing, on the first floor, in his bedroom, Giovanni was passed out drunk. Oh, my God. So he didn't hear. He was there the whole time? Yes. He was there the whole time drunk. Didn't hear it, but wakes up when he hears Teresa crying. And the first thing he thinks is, oh, Maria is supposed to watch Teresa. Um you know, he's just like thinking to himself, how could Maria let Teresa be out here all by herself? I'm going to give a talking to her and tell her how oh, irresponsible no. she is and how I'm so disappointed. Yeah, maybe you should have this conversation with your son instead, my friend. Right. In those dreadful moments, as Giovanni walks up the stairs, he realizes this grave assumption he's made and he just walked into a crime scene giovanni starts shouting 
as loud as he can, get help, which brings Maria's mother, who was already on her way back in from town, and the neighbors rushing to the house. You know, their face is sweating, their hearts are pounding, everyone's alarmed, and that's where the group finds Maria badly bruised in a puddle of blood filled with holes that are pulsing and liquid is coming out of them. Her mother just tries to slowly move down to her and come from this adrenaline rush and asked her what happened. Who could have done this to her? And sweet, sweet little Maria just softly answers to it. It was Alessandro, mama, because he wanted to commit an awful sin, and I would not. The group of adults is trying to attend to Maria. They have her moved to a bed while one of the neighbors is trying to get a hold of an ambulance. Maria's mother is just trying to make sure that Maria is okay. Just trying, trying to, to comfort her because she probably knows that Maria is not going to make it. Trying to make sure the pains were going to be all right. And when the wagon ambulance pulls up, they load Maria onto it with her mother as well. Um, Maria's mother didn't want her to experience any discomfort while the wagon was bumping up and down to the trip to the hospital. When they arrive at the hospital, the doctors attempt to fix the damage that had been done to her. She was not allowed to receive any type of anesthesia because... Oh, my God. Did they even have any type of anesthesia back then, or was it just, like, rum and cocaine? <laughs> Whatever it was, her body was too weak to be able to be given it. As Maria laid in bed, as they're prepping to do for what they're going to do procedure-wise... In her sleep, it seems like she's like re like her body's like wiggling around, and um, the next thing she knows is that she wakes up in the hospital room, and the only thing she can focus on is that there's a statue that's been placed at the very end of the bed that her mother put there, and that is the statue of Our Lady. Being awakened, Maria remembers nothing of the incident. She has no idea what happened. She has no idea why she's in the hospital. Nothing. Wait, so she survived this? No. Oh, okay. It's just I when she woke confused. up from surgery. I can't believe she made it this long. Holy cow. Oh, yeah, no. But the doctors had kind of, you know, had let the family know we tried our best, but we don't. She may only have a day or so. So being awake, Maria remembers nothing of the incident. And everybody's kind of weird about it. And they can really notice and tell that she doesn't really understand what happened because the only thing she's worried about is like why everybody else looks worried. And when the mm -hmm. doctors and nurses or anybody attempt to, you know, with medical information, discuss it with her, she has no idea what they're talking about. So she completely forgot about the incident. Her body shoved that to the deepest crevice of her mind. Absolutely. Uh, knowing that Maria is not going to make it, a priest comes in to offer her her last rites. But instead of doing her last rites, she took that time to focus on all the blessings she had in life. So she took the time to say, 
Like, I love you, mommy. You are my heart and my soul and my best friend. I love you, my siblings. Like, I'm sorry I was so hard on you sometimes, but you guys are so funny. You know, thank you, Mr. Giovanni, for everything you've done. And while sitting in bed and without anger, she says, and Alessandro, him too. I pardon him. I wish that he can join someday in heaven with me. And Maria's mother's eyes just grew heavier and heavier until they fell down, giving Maria one last more kiss right between her little eyebrows. The bells of the city started to ring, and that is when Maria's sweet short life came to an end. Alessandro is arrested. There was a mob like that was there at the same time as Maria being taken away. And that mob took him and basically like, if it was up to them, they would have hung him on the spot. Oh, absolutely. But because of them being nice people, they decided not to. He spends 30 years in jail holding no remorse until he has a dream where Maria appears to him and says that she forgives him and hands him like lilies and then they disintegrate. And at that moment, he declares that he's going to uh, live a life of the the father. And uh, after his service, he goes and travels to be like this little street pastor. So he gets out of jail? Like when he's like 60. Oh, wow. And when he becomes like this pastor, no one wants anything to do with him. Well, yeah. Like he can't get anything, can't like get a job. So he dies on the streets alone. And that is the tale of Maria Goretti. And so is she, she's a saint though, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so do you know anything about that? Um, okay, so the sanctification process um, is supposed to happen five years after someone dies, if you want to consider them to be a saint. Um, the list of it you can find online, but like there has to be evidence of some type of miracle or deeds. So one I can remember is that... Uh, one of Maria's brothers, when World War II came around, was in the trenches with his uh, squad. And the commander of the squad had told everybody that on like the count of three, their plan were to get out of the trenches and to like dart forward towards the enemy bases. And her brother was about this idea and suddenly he says that he like sees Maria within the group of his company. And like Maria turns to look at him and says, do not get out of this trench. I need you to stay here. I know what he's going to say, but stay in the trench. So he does. And his whole little command group goes out of the trench, runs forward and bombs got him. Oh my gosh. 
Um, there's a couple other events which help qualify it, and it was her behavior during life. Her her sanctification process is one of the only ones to be canonized in the 20th century. Our topic we've talked about before, St. Agnes. This is considered the St. Agnes of the 20th century. I see. Yes. I see. Um, there were so many people that showed up to Maria's saint canonization. Uh, they couldn't even hold it in its proper building. They actually had to hold it in the giant square in the Vatican. And uh, Maria's mother got to live to see her daughter become a saint in 1950. That's so crazy. There's like personal accounts of it. Yeah, so she was, she was like 11 years old when this happened. At the end of it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, so that means that they were, the Alessandro, they they were like. They were there for like two years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. And only 30 years of prison. That's. That's insane. Like you brutally murdered a little girl mm-hmm. and you only got 30 years. Everybody else wanted to like hang him in the streets right then and he, there. And he got off three years prematurely. So he got out. Oh, yeah, that's right. 27 years. Oh, my God. But I think that's amazing that the mother was able to live to see the day that her daughter became a saint. I think that's beautiful. I think that's beautiful too. Um, There's only one picture of Maria I could find. Like an actual, like kind of like photograph of her and it's it's a little, like she's just a little further away from you and you see her bedhead chestnut hair. Aww. Like you see it. So she has really bad hair, this muffin. I love it. I mean, think about it. It's, it's, it's crazy because, again, no one thinks saint stories are like this, but they are. Are recent, you know? And Well, yeah, saint stories are terrible, but also recent. Think, when I think saints, yeah, I think far away, long time ago, not someone who was alive in the 1900s. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to find... So for those that don't know or aren't aware, saints in the Catholic Church have their own cards. They're like little saint cards. Yeah, they're like little, uh, you collect the little saint cards. Each card, um, and it, it's tailored to that like specific saint, has pictured on them a symbol that represents them and the way they're killed. So... If you come across one of those cards, like look for those symbols. And if you know the stories, you can easily pick them out. Um, But some are a little obvious, like the ones that get beheaded. Like you kind of, you're like, oh, you got beheaded. How did, how did they, oh, that's so cute. That's so interesting. So you can kind of figure out how they died just by Mm -hmm. deciphering. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, Like there's one where they tied in like this metaphorical dragon to her story. So like her card has like a dragon on it. And then like Agnes has a knife wound on her throat. You can like see. Yeah. Like if you go look, you can see the wounds that kill them. 
it's not cool because people's deaths aren't cool. I just find that interesting. It's like Pokemon Saint. You know? Mm-hmm. I get a call from the Pope. Um, please do. Ma'am. <laughs> do not refer to them as. Please don't refer to our saints as Pokemon. Okay. She had one of the largest crowds to ever assemble for canonization. So 250, 100,000 people symbolize the reactions that 250,000 symbolize the millions that were touched by Maria. She, okay, so this is her patronage. She is the patronage of victims of rape, crime victims, teenage girls, Modern youth, children of Mary. I don't know what that last one is. Um, her attributes are 14 lilies, farmer's clothing, and a cape. So 14, 14 lilies, per- one for every stab wound that she had. Mm-hmm. And occasionally oh a knife. But yes, that is the story of St. Maria. Look at this little doll of her. Oh, she was just a little muffin. She really was. I, um, oh, okay. Let me put this last part in and then I'm done. So Maria's remains are still around today. So you do you, when it comes to relics, like holy relics, like what do you think? The Holy Grail? I don't know. I literally have no. Um, Remember with Agnes? A relic. I literally have no idea. They keep the body. That is what that is what the relics are. Oh. So sometimes it's items like the spear of Longus, which is the spear that crucified Jesus Christ. Like that that exact spear. That's like that's why his story sticks so hard as it does because they do. They're ha- claiming to actually have the spear that. Stab Jesus Christ. Yeah, because it dates from that time period and stuff. Um, Marie's remains are kept in a crypt in the south of Rome. It's often incorrectly reported that her body remains incorrupted after her death. That like people think that like her body never de- like degraded nothing. Yeah. So they'll go and think, oh my God, she's such like it's a miracle. When really this is because her skeletal remains are contained in a wax statue lying on its back inside a glass casket. And the statue has just been mistaken for her body. So whenever you go to relics, certain relics are dead people. So that's her actual body. skeletal underneath the wax. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Literally one time um, I was at a party. It was like uh, with like Bobby and Bethany, you know, all mm-hmm. of them. And they told me that Walt Disney's body is frozen in in and somewhere in Disneyland. And I literally started like freaking out and crying because I was like, that's so freaking creepy. It's a rumor. I think it's false, but it still like traumatized me. People so thinking of anything like being frozen or encapsulated and all that stuff. I don't know. It gives me gives me a little creeps. It's weird. Yeah, it's really common in the and Catholic I think the, Church. I think the wax is more terrifying than if it was just the actual body. Agnes, they just put her skull 
in like a really pretty box. And sometimes, I don't think they do it now, but they used to take the relics and let them travel like an exhibit. That's strange. I like to put that in the category where churches used to make people pay. Okay, yeah, Um, for sure. The sources for the following episode are from MariaGoretti.com, Wikipedia, Pathos, NPR, and NYT. Well, great job, Jordan. That's an interesting story. I always enjoy learning more about saints since this is definitely not um, nothing that I'm familiar with whatsoever. I'm not Catholic, but it makes me appreciate it a little bit more because I get to know the backstory of mm-hmm. all these saints that I would have never got to know know before. So great story. Thank you. I it that kind of story I felt really could kind of resonate with people in the sense of it is more true crime when you think of saints. Yeah, for sure. Especially a little little baby girl. She's only what, like eleven? Mm-hmm. That breaks my heart that she had to go through such a horrible, horrible death and experience and then to tell him like like no like no don't kill me no don't kill me she went no don't do this for yourself don't do yeah, this yeah it wasn't you. about her no absolutely and i think that's something really good to point out is that she wasn't like don't do this to me don't do this to me she knew that his actions were going to have consequences in the um you know what i'm trying the to future. say the future but yeah because it was for him. If he did that, he would be committing a sin and he would have the internal, uh, eternal suffering. Mm-hmm. Oh. This proves to show how actually mature she truly was. Sweet little Maria. Sweet little Maria. But all right, I think that concludes this episode. Oh, what do yes. you think? I am. Thanks for sticking around. <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys. Yeah, and please be good to thy neighbor. You don't want to end up on this podcast. Bye, everybody. Bye.